I think what's unique about uh, Eliza and Zelda's relationship is that at that time in history, now, it, you know, it's, it's a foregone conclusion that people from different walks of life can be close friends, can be married, blah, 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 blah. But during that time, it was, uh, there were, you know, different social mores. Uh, and uh, in spite of all that, there was um, a profound uh, bond of friendship between these two ladies. Um, they were protective of each other. And um, I says it's, I think it says a lot to uh, Guillermo's um, and Vanessa's sensibility uh, as people um, to put those type of uh, characters, types of characters in a, in a film who really, really are emotional support for each other. I think that's wonderful. The love story uh, in The Shape of Water it's, you know, fairy tale, obviously. You know, a, a woman falls in love with a merman. Uh, but what it says to me is that our perfect mate is out there, the perfect person for you. Your perfect knight in shining armor may not be someone else's ideal, um, but they found each other. So to me, at its core, it's about love being blind and love being unconditional. I think these characters uh, ring true to modern audiences because, A, they're grounded in reality. Um, they were janitors at a military installation. Um, so the world that he created could have been true. Um, uh, and the circumstances uh, with, uh, under which they're working uh, could have been true. Um, but sadly, the upheaval with regard to race relations in this country um, is still there. The otherness is still there. So um, uh, when you see um, Eliza um, Esposito and uh, her friendship with Zelda and her friendship with Giles and, you know, a, a closeted gay man and, a, and an African-American woman, um, the believability is there. We all need different messages depending upon our, our, the tapestry of our lives. And what I hope, if, if people um, are in loveless relationships, that you find the courage to get what you need out of your relationship um, with regard to love. If it's about the political aspect and seeing people um, as whole human beings who have something to contribute to society, then take that. Um, if it's uh, the element uh, that pays homage to some of the greatest filmmakers in our of our time, or you know, before our time, um, then then take those elements away. Um, I, I think there's a theme for whatever you know your unique lens uh, through which you view the world. So I try not to say uh, what you should think. I only hope that you do. The film itself is one beautiful moment. Um, uh, the interweaving of all of these genres, nobody can do it better than Guillermo. And um, that in itself is a moment. The, uh, the fact that you have to suspend your belief to see these two characters and you find yourself rooting for these unlikely loves from disparate backgrounds is beautiful. And um, it says a lot about where we need to go as a world. So um, I would say the movie itself is, uh, is a, it's a feat. 
And I think Guillermo, um, being the filmmaker that he is, uh, has created a beautiful cinematic moment for people who really want to just immerse themselves in beautiful filmmaking. Hi there. Maybe you're in the mood for a delicious cup of coffee or a soothing cup of relaxing and always flavorful fruit tea. How about some scrumptious crunchy granola or maybe some organic and all-natural candy for that sweet tooth? We've got all that and much more. Check out our amazing brands on Rob. And that's with two Bs, fbc.com. Again, the website is robbfbc.com. The themes in the movie and The Shape of Water are universal, are timeless. They are so timeless that they belong in the realm of fairy tale or fable. You know, they've been done a million times, but they've never been done like this. And the themes, the idea of embracing the otherness, uh, understanding and non-transformation as a, as a motor of love, those are very new for me. And they are very much today. And I think that what, what has happened is when we see the movie in Toronto, Telluride, uh, London, Venice, across the board, young, old, parents, kids, they all react with the same warmth. It's a movie that seems to heal a lot uh, and, and allow emotion to flow in a time where emotion doesn't flow that easily. We live in a time of fear and hatred and rage every day on the news and every day on social media and every day in our lives. We are told to fear something, fear the other, fear the other religion, the other immigrants, the other this, the other that, the other gender. And it's a time to embrace the fact that there is no us and them, but only us. And that's what we have. The story has not been influenced by many, by many movies, but the look, yes. It's uh, Douglas Sirk, Powell and Pressburger, you know, particularly the Red Shoes, uh, Black Narcissus, Tales of Hoffman. Uh, I think that uh, the Vincente Minelli, the musicals uh, with Gene Kelly, you know, the, uh, the charade, Stanley Donnan's work, his camera work, William Wyler, his work with actor and camera, all classic movies, none of them fantastic, none of them in the genre of the fantastic. Well, this is the first creature that I do that is uh, a leading man and a divine being because he's an elemental god of the river. He's not an animal, but he needs to look like an animal. He needs to look like a human, and he needs to, at some point in the movie, look divine. And I mean truly like a, a pagan god of the water. And towards the end of the movie, there's a great moment in which Doug Jones, with his acting, his pose, his you know, uh, look, and the effects, the it's a complete suit, completely fabricated, no, not a digital effect, except for the eyes, the blinking, and that moment is sublime because the creature transforms for the end. I think this movie has a kinship with Pan's Labyrinth and Devil's Backbone, and probably Crimson Peak in the, in the visual, you know, and that is very elaborate, but uh, I think that uh, this is a very special movie. All the others, they are a combination of one or two genres, but this movie is a, a poem, a, a love letter to cinema. So it's a comedy, melodrama, musical, spy thriller, everything. And uh, and it's a very classical looking movie, beautiful, gorgeous, lavish, but thematically very, very new. I think the opening is beautiful, the closing, the, the scene in the bathroom, 
between them, and when they sink the bathroom, they fill it with water. The monologue, the monologue of uh, Eliza to Giles, these are things to look out for, and, and they're truly magical. If you talk to people about a theme or an idea, and you're used today and the sort of news of the day, it becomes very antagonistic very fast. People go, I don't believe that. They have an opinion. But if you tell them once upon a time, there was this girl with no voice and this creature that was trapped, and you know, it's sort of they lower their guard. They allow the fantasy to, to diminish the threat, and therefore it becomes more deep, your contact with the story. So I think there's a value in thinking about this creature, not, not as monsters or things like that, but as embodiments of concepts. The creature here is literally the shape of water. Edgy, fresh, energetic, impressive, captivating, provocative. It's Rob TV. Watch us on RobTV.com. Strickland is, uh, to me, is not necessarily a villain, even. The thing that Guillermo pointed out is that in the old days, in the B-movie version, where there's some creature being pulled out of the Black Lagoon or whatnot, that the Strickland character would be the, the hero, hero, I guess. Um, he's he's the, the one doing the right thing. So the fact that he's able to flip that kind of nullifies the whole paradigm to begin with, in my view. And that the, perhaps uh, the Russians in a B-movie or um, films made at the time that this takes place might be thought of as, as the enemy and, and Hofstetler in this case ends up trying to help save the creature. It might be thought of initially as uh, one of the darker forces and then he ends up being com compassionate and full of compassion for what the creature's going through. Well, it's a love story between a mute cleaning lady and a man who might be a fish. He's not a man. I don't even know what to call him. The creature. We've been creature. calling him the creature. The creature. Um, yeah, these sort of lonely souls who uh, are subject to a kind of, I mean, um, horrible treatment as far as the creature is concerned. And as Eliza is concerned, she's somewhat isolated, has a friendship with Giles, and um, you know, somewhat ignored at work. So they're somewhat solitary, and uh, they find each other. Her, her, her fascination draws her to this creature, and we get to watch them discover each other, and the trepidation and the fear that they go through, and, and they get to know each other in front of our eyes, and that's pretty extraordinary for people who we would think wouldn't be able to communicate with each other. I love the challenge of getting to speak my, half of my scenes in, in Russian. Uh, and the time it took to try to learn some of the nuance of that language, uh, of which I had studied a little bit in college, but um, not as thoroughly as uh, as uh, as uh, I needed to, to to learn what I needed to learn. Um, Guillermo also asked me to do some drawing and some sketching, which is something I love to do and have done since I was a kid, uh, of the creature. So the sketchbook that he handed to me, I got to make those drawings myself, and it really brought me back to, you know, uh, sort of a, you know, both an artistic and a scientific frame of mind, which was wonderful. Uh, um, 
I love the biography that he wrote out for my character, which is the first time that any director has ever done that for me before, given me pages of ideas about who this guy might be, where he came from, what his likes and dislikes might be, the kinds of things that he adores, what he hates. Uh, that was wonderful to receive. I think people will fall in love with it. I think it's, uh, it's got so much going for it um, in terms of its variety and style and creativity and artistry. Um, uh, but it's, it's, it's hard to sort of draw a direct parallel between that time, which seemed to be on the edge of a loss of innocence, uh, uh, that America was sort of trying to believe it was one thing, and you could sort of see the, the underbelly underneath of it, uh, as we all can see quite plainly today. Um, I think like uh, most great art, it reminds you what's important remind you what's important in life and in this case uh, it's um, because of this relationship uh, that uh, reminds you how important love is and, and, and what love might actually be because it's very confusing and not many people know but uh, every once in a while you see you see it and uh, this would be an example. Are you in need of a high-quality yet very cost-effective printer? Rob Express has got you covered. We print business cards, posters, banners, yard signs, stickers, shopping bags, and so much more. Check us out at robbx.com. The love story in The Shape of Water for me is all about innocence and, uh, and honesty. If there's an honesty that happens with with no no hidden agendas, no no uh, uh, ill intentions, no nothing but pure. It's purity uh, um, between between Eliza and the fish man that I get to play, um, and and not a word spoken. You know, with with no with no verbal dialogue. It's it's a heart connection that happens on film. So there's something very pure about that. Not 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 polluted with words. Kind of like my reaction in the movie was, oh my God, this is so beautiful. And uh, I went around. I was I was looking around your butt and your shoulder. It was okay. it was pretty cool. It was pretty amazing. <laughs> and um, that's that, that's when you thought, well, this movie could be really interesting. Guillermo del Toro is known for his love of monster movies. Like it was the the, the universal classics that made him want to make movies in the first place with uh, Frankenstein, and, um, you know, Dracula, the Mummy, uh, King Kong, and of course the creature from the Black Lagoon. Uh, so, he, so him him putting mon he's, he's said before that I'll always have a monster on my call sheets. So, uh, to put to put a monster or a creature that's other than human in his movies is is a signature. That but he gives those those monsters uh, human characteristics and human issues to work through, um, which offers us an escape as an audience offers us an escape to, to watch these monsters dealing with, with issues and take, and we get to step out of reality for a minute and, and go into this fantastical world and uh, come out of that theater a little bit empowered to face the monsters and demons in our own life and to, and to, and to if we feel like an underdog, like all the underdogs that, that, that Guillermo's put on film, uh, you know, we get to see that an underdog can win and can, can find a voice and can triumph in the end. He also saw 
humanity in all of these creatures that he loved from uh, mm -hmm. when he was a child. And that's what he's put into his versions of these uh, folks. I mean, he's, he's, he made the audience understand that they have an intellect and they have a heart. And he did it without using words and without having them become a person. So it's pretty great. Um, and he does it through Sally Hawkins. It's her response to, um, to the creature that makes you understand that she sees something in them that we better look for. I thought I knew what this movie was going to be, and I had no idea. Hmm. Um, and I'd seen Guillermo del Toro movies, and I made this movie, and I saw all the stuff he shot and everything, but I didn't know how it all went together. I didn't understand boiled eggs. I knew he used them, and I knew what the... But the way it was cut and the way, the way he told the story blew my mind because it's, it speaks in a film language that nobody talks in anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm. I think I was surprised with the, the musical uh, uh, movie uh, that, that we made without realizing it was a musical while we were making it, um, perhaps. And, and of course, there, there was a dance number <laughs> in it with, for Sally and I that, that took us off to a fantastical you know, um, uh, fantasy moment. But, uh, but, but the rest of the movie had, had so... Anyone could break out into song and dance at any time. I, I guess I, didn't, I wasn't a, a part of that... That uh, that talk and that that uh, ideology going into it, but but uh, uh, but the soundtrack that came with it as well, uh, and and the the way the movie was cut together, it had it had a very foreign film, like a French feeling, a film feeling to it, which I love. Uh, I love that kind of of of, of art, you know. Um, and so that that was an, a bit of a of a of a happy surprise for me. The music, uh, for me, was was definitely a mood setter, or or. Or, uh, or, or a contrast of what we, we were watching something that might be a little dark and it might have a whimsical uh, uh, musical note going over it. So it was, uh, it kind of like uh, might, might uh, take your emotions and confuse them for a minute before you find resolve. It was a, it was a beautiful way of, of, of helping push story along, I thought. Well, Alexander Desplat, when he, he talked about making this, writing the score for this, and he said it didn't, I didn't do it on purpose, but I went back and looked at the, the melodies that I'd written. They do this, mm -hmm. like, like a wave. Mm -hmm. And he said, it, it can't be <clears throat> drama. It's got to, it has to, well, I mean, that's the job of a composer, to find the heart of the film and, and uh, help it. Mm -hmm. And he, it never gets in the way. It's absolutely beautiful. Love and loneliness is forever. Uh, you know, cycles. We're trying to break loneliness to find love. I mean, I, there's nothing really new about anything. Uh, it's just how you tell the story, and mm -hmm. and um, you know, I think people can relate. I know they can to these mm -hmm. to these invisible folks. Um, all of us at some point in our lives have felt like the monster that didn't fit in. And is there love potential for us? Uh, that's a timeless theme, whether it was the 1960s or it's 2017. I think. Hey guys, this amazing podcast and many more podcasts on the Rob Radio Network can be listened to via the amazing Rob Entertainment mobile app. While you're in the app, you'll also come across exclusive videos and photos, information in regards to Rob Entertainment events, prizes and giveaways, and so much more. You can download the 100% free Rob Entertainment mobile app via Google Play and also at Apple's App Store. Thanks. This has been a Rob Radio Network production. Check out our website at rrn.org.
www.robbent.com. Thank you for listening.